Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sportsnet 960, it's the big show, Russick and Rose. At the bottom of the hour, Phil Bork, Pittsburgh Penguins radio analyst, two-time Stanley Cup champion. We'll talk about that experienced, mature <laughs> Pittsburgh Penguins team. And are they ready for another crushing defeat in the playoffs? They really um, gagged it against the Rangers. Yeah, they, they, well, it's been a, a bit of a one. trend. Like, they haven't been out of the first round yeah. in many a year. Lost to the Habs in the bubble. And there was the Blue Jackets a few years back. Yep. Yeesh. Talk to Phil Bork. Uh, our next guest. But the band is back together. It's true. Um, we have yet to talk to him on the big show. I've, I've wanted him as a guest. Uh, he is a Flames radio analyst for Sportsnet 960. Uh, we say good morning to our good friend, Peter Labardius. Lou, how are you? I'm good, George. How are you? I'm great. It's a pleasure. It's it's a pleasure to be on the program. Welcome. Thank you. And uh, I hope you're treating Rose and Bloom. Yes. Very well. Okay. Uh, yes. When when does it get to the point where I can call you Lou? Because I don't I don't think we're there yet. Am I? Uh, yeah. You can you can call me Lou. Okay. All right. Okay. Good. Yeah. Sure. I'm I'm good with that. Okay. I'm 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 really good with that. Uh, yeah. th- thank sure. you. I uh, I hear you're a uh, a Minnesota Vikings fan, so clearly you like to punish yourself in life. That's what I've learned about you this morning. Oh, listen, yeah. there is absolutely no question about yeah. that. I have been a Viking fan yeah. since I was six. Mm-hmm. And when I started liking them, they were actually good. It was in the uh, early 70s. Fran Tarkington, and fantastic. They, yes, and many others. And they actually got to Super Bowls back then. They didn't win any of them, yeah. of course, but they got there. Uh, they have not been to the Super Bowl since 1978, just in case you're scoring at home. Right. So, yeah, yeah, George, uh-huh. because it's a first, I'll give you my favorite Minnesota Viking line. Okay. I love them, but they're like that family member you sure as hell don't like. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. Um, I know. Uh, I, know uh, I oh, I know. Oh, uh, Rash Madani, I'm sure mutual friend. Uh, he he lives that painful Minnesota Vikings fandom as you do, and even uh, a former producer in Toronto loves the Minnesota Vikings, and they all share the same thing. They love the team, yet they hate them at the same time. It's a very oh, yeah. interesting dichotomy how that fan base is split apart. That they love the team, yet they hate them so much at the same time. It's fascinating. It's beyond fascinating, and I like to call it at this point, after fifty plus years, stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like how torn? How torn are you, uh, Lou, when uh, the Vikings score a touchdown, but Kirk Cousins throws that touchdown? I, you know what? That's where Arash and I are not on the same page. Oh, okay. For Arash, everything wrong with the Vikings is all about Kirk Cousins. Hmm. Um, I look at it with a bit of a broader spectrum. Like, for instance, George, you know, you happen to know a lot about the NFL and do this little program on Sundays. You, you answer this question for me. Okay. Like last year, is it good to give up 200 points in the last two minutes of halves? Is that, is that a good thing? I, Lou, I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and say, I don't think that's conducive to winning football games. Oh, no, no. And now, is that right. Kirk Cousins' fault? No. <laughs> no. And Mike Zimmer was supposed to be this defensive guru, and where did the defense go the last couple of years of his tenure there? 
Uh, they they went south, and that was by far and away the last two years. My bigger issue with the group than what Mr. Cousins did. I do. I think that anyone's winning a Super Bowl with the guy who has some of the happiest feet, which make me very unhappy in the sport. Um, you know, he's not Billy Joel and pressure. I can tell you that because the minute he gets any, he's off stage really quick. But the Minnesota Vikings the last few years have had equally as large problems as their quarterback. Um, which team do you want to see not succeed more, Lou? The Green Bay Packers or the Edmonton Oilers? The Green Bay Packers. Okay. You didn't because, hesitate at all. Okay. No, because in my time, actually, George, the first place I worked in the province was Edmonton in mm. television in the late 1990s. Um, I've had... You know, I called some Oiler games in the mid two thousands. I remember that. Now yes. I'm not. I, I'm not particularly fond of them now. <laughs> I will say that. But you know, as long as that Aaron Rodgers guy, and I've not liked the Green Bay Packers since. You know, in the seventies they didn't matter because they were no good. Uh, but you know. I haven't liked them really since the early 80s, and now I despise them. Hmm. And, boy, it was just glorious yesterday (laughs) down the stretch (laughs) to see them struggle. Like, Aaron Rodgers, you know, probably one of the great team guys in all of sports. (laughs) You know, it's never about him. Those are my kind of guys. Yeah. Yeah, right. Those are as as Rosenblum can back me up. Yeah. I, I love those. Now, is he the most talented quarterback I've ever watched in my existence? Yes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But I, there is nothing I like more than a quality Packer loss. <laughs> and had the Vikings, if they didn't even win another game after opening day. I might have been okay with it this year because they're not winning anyway. Mm-hmm. So at least beat those guys. There you go. And, and right. probably one of the better NFL Sundays you'll have all year. Packers lost. Yeah, because I didn't have play. three hours of pacing up and down and, yeah. you know, wrecking things or <laughs> at least rugs. <laughs> uh. It was good. I really enjoyed it. Went to the Hitman game, as you know, Rosenblum. Saw a guy. Now that doesn't happen every day. In fact, I was thinking about it on my drive home from Scotiabank Saddledome, and I still can't come up with the answer. I'm not sure. In a game, have I ever seen anyone score five? Now I have, but not necessarily at the Western League level or junior level or you know NHL level. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen every day. Of course, Riley Fiddler Schultz of the Hitman scoring five goals in a six-two win. For Did the somebody win a million dollars from a grocery store? I don't know that. Oh, okay. um, no, 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 they should have. Yeah, yeah they they absolutely should have. Four of them in the first period alone. Wow, it was it was impressive to say the least. Um, but let's talk about the Flames. They beat the Carolina Hurricanes in overtime, mm-hmm. three to two. Uh, Tyler Toffoli gets the game winner. There's a couple of guys who I think, despite the Flames having a good record to start the season, have been under some scrutiny. Tyler Toffoli on the top line, Jacob Markstrom between the pipes, and 
in that game, I thought both of them, um, and, you know, it's early season, so I think that the, the criticisms are what they are, but for them to both perform and have a positive impact on that game going the way it did, that's got to be good for both those players. Well, it is good for both those players, and it, I guess it shouldn't astound me as long as I've been around. It is October, right, fellas? Oh, yeah. Uh, 24th, yeah. one well, more week still. This Jacob Markstrom was one of your best players last year, was he not? Absolutely. Yeah, can confirm. Okay, so if if someone in every terrific player in the National Hockey League will have a stretch during the course of an 82-game season where maybe it's not going perfectly, I, I just I, maybe I shouldn't be frustrated, but it frustrates me when we so quickly forget about the great work that someone has done when they have, you know, maybe not quite up to their standard where we go with that. Now, listen, did I enjoy the second round of the playoff series last year? No. Was he at his best? No. Would he be the first to tell you that he hasn't been at his best this year? Yes, he would. And that's one of the reasons I like Jacob so much is no one is harder on himself than him, which is also why in two games this week, when you needed your goalie to shut the door against Vegas and you needed him to shut the door against a very good, they're both really good teams, Carolina down 2 nothing in both those games, shut the door. That, to me, is the mark of terrific goaltending. Now, do you put your team in some tough situations? Did I like the first goal against Vegas? No. Allowing Sebastian Ajo to go in on your net by himself, even though it was the first shot of the game, can spell the red light coming on. Mm. And as for Toffoli, listen, you know, he's, he's, he's not a spring chicken anymore for sure, but he has already scored not only three goals, but three really important goals. And that thing the other night, after a wonderful play by Rasmus Anderson to make it happen in overtime, was in the back of the net before Auntie Ranta could blow his nose. So I just, I get a little frustrated, fellas. It's early in the year. This team is 4-1. and one. Um, I feel better about this team, George, than I've ever felt about the Calgary Flames since wow. I've been here. Yeah, I really do. And that's not to say that I think they're going to, win the division or they're going to have a hundred points or they're going to have, you know, three guys who blow up the scoring race. You know, the conversation started with one thing, right? About a team that doesn't win when it matters. Hmm. What I'm concerned about in sports is winning. And I just think this team has the makeup, the personnel, the slotting, the maturity. I think this is a team, they're not there yet, and that's fine, it's early, but I think this team has the makeup of something very, very special. Mm, wow. Uh, Peter Labardius, Calgary Flames radio analyst for Sports at 960, joining us here for the first time on the big show, Russick and Rose. Um, 
Speed, I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, the Flames have had some issues with teams like the Hurricanes and the Sabres and obviously uh, the top end of the Avalanche and the Oilers earlier on this season. Have you kind of noticed the same thing, Lou, that this team has a bit of an issue with super fast teams? And we're talking about the upper echelon of the NHL. But is that something that you're going to keep an eye on as the season moves along that maybe Calgary struggles against those really fast skating teams? I, 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 listen, um, you know, Carolina have for a number of years, as you know, George, has been one of the fastest teams. But the thing that I like to talk about when people remark about fast teams, and I'd use the Buffalo Sabres as a perfect example, the Buffalo Sabres came in the other night and their puck movement was stellar. And there is nothing faster that moves faster in the sport than the puck. Hmm. And those two teams, yes, they possess some really, really fast players. But when the Calgary Flames are at their best, they look like a really fast team because of how well they're connected, how well they move the puck, how they forecheck and create a lot of havoc. So um, would I say that the Flames are one of the fastest teams in the league? Not necessarily. Um, And everybody struggles with the one guy up north. So I don't care who you are. That's, That's an issue. But do I watch for it? Yes. Do I think it's a bit of an issue? No. And I will say this, George, coming from where you came from, I, I do think there is a difference, not a huge difference, but there's a difference the way the games are played in the Eastern Conference. You know, I, I, think, I think there is not necessarily faster teams. There might be more high-end skill teams in the East hmm. than there is in the West. And some of the best West teams – um, you know, are more for me of a blend. So that that's probably how I'd answer that. Wanted to ask you, Lou, about some of the new players. Uh, as George mentioned, first time you're stopping by the morning show so far since uh, our short tenure began. Um, but Mackenzie Wieger's the guy that I wanted to focus on. There's a lot to like in his game. Uh, he's playing mm-hmm. alongside Chris Tanev. He's very aggressive at the blue line with some of his pinches from time to time, which has given me uh, some moments of pause for concern, perhaps. But overall, I think it's been pretty good for number 52 in red. Well, I think it's going to turn out to be really, really good. And I, the Florida Panthers and the Calgary Flames, certainly last year's Florida Panthers, they don't necessarily play the same way. And not to just quote Daryl Sutter, but, you know, it's, I think for both Huberto and Uyghur Rosenblum, you know, it's 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 been a fairly large transition in terms of what is asked of you. You know, in the end, Florida had a tough time um, in round two, and one of the reasons is, you know, not unlike other sports, you have to get stops. And, you know, they had a marvelous year, and they scored like crazy, and in a lot of cases in the regular season, they were able to outscore their problems. Um, that's something that's hard to do. So I love Mackenzie Weger. I, I like everything about him. 
He uses his speed to close gaps. Um, he's not afraid to blow you up. He's hmm. highly, highly competitive. Yep. You guys might find this odd. One of my favorite Mackenzie Weger moments this year was not even in the regular season. It was in a preseason game in Winnipeg where the Flames were getting their tails handed to them and down 5 nothing. And he spent the third period telling people that, you know what? I'm not too fond of this result tonight. Those are my kind of people. Hmm. And you'd say, what difference does it make in a preseason game? Well, if you're that competitive <laughs> and you care that much in a preseason game, I'm going to guess that runs through your veins all the time. So I, I've already seen progress with him and Chris Tanev. I, I think, well, he, he, Maddie, is one of the reasons I like this team better than any other team because I'm such a big proponent of teams who have really good defenses and especially on the in the top four you know look at vancouver right now people are talking about blown leads and all kinds of things well guess what when you have when when your defense isn't necessarily elite one through six to begin with yeah now you're playing without three guys you're not winning Mm -hmm. i'm sorry and for people who say injuries don't matter and you need more depth, stop it. Nobody's got that kind of depth. I will not listen to the injuries don't matter conversation. The Flames had 71 games, man uh, man games lost injury last year. 20 of them were Tyler Pitlick, and year ended up pretty good. I don't think those are uh, happenstance either. I did want to ask you just about how this team is stacked down the middle because, you know, I could ask you about Huberto on the top line. I could ask you about Kadri play with Dubé Manjapani, but... Really, what this has all done has set up something that we've talked about for years here in Calgary. What if Michael Backlund was a third-line shutdown center? What then? And I think him and Blake Coleman are really relishing this role with Trevor Lewis, too. What have you made about how that line has been able to embrace a different role this season, thanks to the depth that Bradtree Living acquired over the offseason? Well, I don't know, Matty, if it's a different role. I just think... You know, I think it's a very similar role, and I've said this for many years, as you know. When Michael Backlund's two-way game is at a high level, this team doesn't lose very many hockey games. And I haven't really changed that stance. Now, what I would say to you is when this team added both, but especially Nazem Kadri, you're just... You're so much deeper down the middle. You're you're better slotted. You have three terrific centermen who are all different. They all give you something a little different than the other. But Kadri's Kadri is a phenomenal player. And and I think Michael at thirty three this year feels more as much ownership in terms of his leadership with so many, you know, former leaders and guys who are talked about as leaders that are gone and he's playing with more edge. One of the great stats about Michael this year is guys in his career, he's 48.8% in the faceoff circle this year. He's over 60%. Now it's early, but he's been over 60% 
three nights in a row. And why I think that's important is I always feel in the case of centermen, remember, it's the first 50-50 battle that goes on in the sport. And I do think that it says something about Michael's engagement level, about his confidence level, about the impact he feels he is making. And I think it goes back to the playoffs. I really do. I, I think Michael had a marvelous playoff. I thought he was arguably their best forward in the playoffs from start to finish. So I just think Maddie more than anything, I don't think the roles changed. I just think he's, he's playing better and he slots arguably better. Lou, how fun is it to watch the roller coaster that is the Nikita Zadorov experience game in game out? I call it Nikita's world. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, but I will say this, George, if you think it's up and down this year, you should have watched it, especially in the first half of last year. In fact, I think Nikita has made some large strides this year. And to his credit, and the other night was a perfect example, this team doesn't win the hockey game without brilliant penalty killing. And that four minutes down the stretch in the third wasn't good. It was brilliant. And he's a big part of it. He stepped into the role that was left by Eric Goodbranson with Chris Tanev is your number one pairing that comes over the boards when you start penalty kills. I actually think his, there was times last year where there might've been three rings in the circus. Uh, I, I think his game actually for me is really settled down. There are moments for sure. But but like I said, last last half the first half of last year, it it yes, it was far more interesting. This year I actually feel like he's been pretty consistent. Peter Labardius, Calgary Flames radio analyst for Sportsnet nine sixty. Uh Lou, it's a pleasure. Uh let's do it again soon. And real quick before I let you go, at this point of his career, is Justin Jefferson better than Randy Moss? at this at Ooh. that point of Randy Moss's career. Well, remember when Randy Moss broke into the league, the Minnesota Vikings went 15 and 1 and poor Gary Anderson who might be listening right now in Canmore, Alberta where I believe he resides, hmm. missed one kick all season long. Yep. 39 yarder with 2 minutes to go in regulation. That is an awesome question. Um I think it might be tie goes to the runner. Okay. Um, Do do you miss kickers wearing the single bar like Gary Anderson (laughs) used to do on? I miss the single bar, Lou. I like the single bar. Yep. Um, If you wear purple and you're a kicker, you're destined for (laughs) hell. (laughs) Okay, I've learned a lot. Over this last 26 minutes. You, 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 re- you really have, haven't you? I have, absolutely have. And I look forward to doing this again real soon. Thanks, Lou. Okay, guys. Keep up the good work. And Thanks we'll, for having we'll me. We'll try. Uh, Flames Insider Peter Labardius is brought to you by the Gemini Group of Home Renovations. Your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini experience. The Gemini Group now offering air mile reward miles. 
visit GeminiGroup.ca. Great stuff from Lou. And you can hear the pain in his voice of being a Minnesota Vikings Oh, um, yeah. Like, trust me. Soul-crushing like, defeats. The thing is, like, today, like I said, the Packers lost. The Vikings didn't play. Yep. Like, if, if this is a, a Monday where the Vikings take that one in the teeth, yep. maybe they, they lose on a last-minute field goal when they were up by 15. Perhaps a little bit of a different tone. Yep. But that's that's the life of being a Vikings fan, man. And the Vikings had no business Purple losing, people eaters. losing to Chris Chandelier and the Falcons uh, that year in the NFC title game. Randall Cunningham had an un- incredible season throwing the ball to Chris Carter and Randy Moss. Uh, the Vikings were just, they were a buzzsaw that year. And then somehow, someway lost to the Dirty Birds, the Atlanta Falcons, in the NFC title game because Gary Anderson couldn't kick a field goal that should have been made. It was indoors, too, so... How about Lou with the current address? Yeah. <laughs> Canmore. A little bit of an encyclopedia. Uh, I love watching uh, the single bar, and I like when you watch highlights. I've watched this on the NFL Network. The barefoot kicker, too. I wish they bring back the barefoot kicker. What? Yeah, guys used to kick barefoot. That's... It gave them a better feel of the ball, apparently. So, yeah, it didn't really work out in Lambeau Field in December when the ball was a brick <laughs> and you had to kick it, and you were barefoot like a psycho. But barefoot kicking, I wish they would bring back. <laughs> could you imagine it? Can you imagine that began started a thing in the CFL where barefoot kicking like the snowstorm in like Saskatchewan? Well, they're not making the playoffs because they suck, oh, but like, a, like a snowstorm in the CFL in the playoffs and a barefoot kicker is running out there because he has a better feel for the ball. Like, I find it jarring when baseball players don't wear batting gloves. Yeah, that's that's taking that to an umpteenth level. Yeah. To not wear shoes when you're kicking. And and to that point, you hear gross stories that Moises Alou used to pee all over his hands to keep the calluses good. Really? Yeah. That's... It's gross. That's disgusting. The guy was a good player. Vlad Vlad Sr. didn't wear batting gloves. I don't know if he peed all over his hand like (laughs) Moises Alou. But where do you get to the point where, you know what's going to help my batting... Peeing all over my hands. How many times do you have to do that in a game? I don't know. Is that just before you're at bat? I, do you do it once at the beginning of the day? You call it a day, day? To, keep it, to keep it tight, I guess. I don't know. Is that how you start your day? It's like your morning yeah. routine. You got to put a little bit of uh, creamer. Oh, yeah, and a quick and little how... shave, and then I'll just pee on my hands. Okay, just I don't want to talk about pee all morning because it's so interesting, but how concentrated does the pee have to be to actually work? Like, is he super dehydrated when he yeah. does it? How much water is this guy drinking? Exactly. Is this guy at a... Oh, no. Reminds me, I should Moises, drink some water. Yeah. Moises Salou used to pee on his hands. That's because he was a, a bare-handed batter. Just like he got stung by a jellyfish. Yeah. But all the time. Exactly. Weird. And, and just peed on his hands. That's weird. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Phil Bork, Penguins radio analyst, uh, two-time Stanley Cup champion. We'll ask about those mature... Pittsburgh. Oh, Penguins. that's okay. Yeah, I'm glad that's the direction we're going. You don't want me to go geriatric? No, let's with not. Phil? <laughs> I did find that funny earlier. Okay, but I don't know. Yeah, sure, geriatric. Blue haired. I'm just glad Penguins. we're moving past the previous topic. Like, that's do they have all their team dinners at four o'clock <laughs> so they can get to bed early? Is that what the Penguins? Is their do? jersey sponsor Denny's? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Phil Bork next. Big show. Rustic and Rose Sports at 960. <laughs> the fan. You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Flames have the day off before they resume their massive 
long homestand tomorrow night against the Pittsburgh Penguins, who, by the way, are on the road tonight in Edmonton, up oh. the road, up the old QE2 against the uh, Oilers. Talk about those Pittsburgh Penguins, two-time Stanley Cup champion, radio analyst for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We say good morning to Phil Bork. Phil, how are you? I'm awesome, man. Sitting in my hotel room in Edmonton, getting ready for the big uh, pens and oil game. Um, for your time playing in the league and now as a as a as a person in the media, where does Edmonton rank in your uh, cities on the road here, Phil? And by all means, if you want to slag the city of Edmonton, as you know, you're on in Calgary. We're all for it. Oh, uh, you just want me to stir the pot, don't you? <laughs> this is no. Um, I, I I don't put it up there very high. Okay. Um, yeah, I, you know what? If I had to choose between Calgary and Edmonton, I'd take Calgary, not because I'm talking to you boys, but I, I like the whole kind of uh, Midwest country slash theme that you have going on in Calgary. Okay. I'll be honest with you. I know you guys are sick and tired of the Saddle Dome and you want a new barn, but you know, for us folks from the West Coast that only get out there once a year, I love coming out there mm. uh, and, and going to that arena. Uh, but being from you know, from Boston, but feeling like I'm a Pittsburgher now. I like the big town, small town feel, and I get that in Calgary. All right, uh, Phil, Buffalo or Edmonton? Which city? Oh, God, Edmonton. Come on. Okay. Yeah, there's a couple weeks. <laughs> okay. I mean, come on. No disrespect to uh, upstate New York there, but there's not a whole lot going on in downtown Buffalo. That's true. They do have a casino now, so that might bring me over for dinner, yeah. drinks, and maybe some cards. But, um, they have a lot of burnt-out factories, yeah. Phil. They have a lot of burnt-out factories. I'm a big fan of burnt-out factories. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of yep. photos throughout my house of burnt-out factories, so that does, is a lure for me yep. in, uh, in Buffalo. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say this one thing real quick because I okay. don't want to carry on with this. Okay. The Buffalo Sabres need to get good quick and i know they just spanked your ass after yep. beating the oilers and then they go in and beat vancouver too yep. so they look good uh, but i just think the league the league needs them to be a lot better we need the toronto buffalo rivalry we Ooh, need yeah. you know detroit and buffalo to get it on again i i hope buffalo gets their act together soon uh there is no games like friday nights in buffalo between the maple leafs and the sabers where you have uh-huh. drunken Leaf fans wearing their jerseys that are three sizes too small, and then getting in fights with Buffalo fans, it's it's a tradition unlike any other there at those bar and then bar in that you bar. Just painted the most bang on picture. Yeah, I can see that guy in that white Toronto jersey with the boiler hanging over his yeah. tight jeans. Yep. Yeah, he's got the Dougie Gilmore '93 in the back. Yeah. I can see it yep. He's full of Cheesecake Factory at the Walden Galleria. <laughs> That's what he's doing. <laughs> what he's doing? Oh, those games are uh, great. I, the one thing about people thing about Buffalo people don't know the 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 best television ratings for the NHL in the United States comes from Buffalo, which is mind blowing. Hmm. Yes, and, and, and you know what? Pittsburgh's number two. So oh, to wow. toot the horn a little bit there. It's usually when the rankings come out for U.S. states and hockey games. It's usually Buffalo one, Pittsburgh two. Well, let's dot. Well, let's dive into this Penguins team, who's off to a red-hot start. Didn't have Crosby or Malkin to start last season. They're both back for this year. Um, what has maybe impressed you the most about the Penguins so far into this season? 
the goaltending would be number one. Tristan Jari and Casey Smith have just been outstanding. And there's been a bunch of games. So uh, there's a little bit of a mirage, a little bit of smoke and mirrors in that um, 4-0-1 mark uh, because the goaltenders have, have saved in the bacon there a few times. Uh, the depth of the scoring, Penguins have had 14 players score goals already. Um, the new guys, Jan Ruda, Jeff Petrie, uh, Ryan Paling, Josh Archibald, those four new guys have uh, injected some life, and, and they've been con- key contributors in those uh, Penguins victories. So, And the band's back together. You know, I didn't think it was going to happen, really, guys. I, 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 there's no way I thought we were going to be able to sign Malkin, Latang, Rust, Raquel, DeSmith, sign all these guys, bring them all back, and take another go at it, considering that we've lost four straight years in the first round. I think that's one of the most impressive things as well. Malkin, Cross, like as the free agency drew near, it did look like Evgeny Malkin was going to leave, but he resigns. He get those four years. What have you made of his play early on, and, and who has he been playing with for the most part? He's been playing with Jason Zucker on the left and Brian Rust on the right. And Brian Rust has developed into one of the best hockey players in the National Hockey League. He can play with anybody. He's great when he plays with Sid. And so out of the hopper here, Mike Sullivan, our head coach, wants Ricard Raquel up with Sid, and he wants Brian Rust with Evgeny Malkin because the one thing that Brian Rust, and and on the other side, on the left side, you have Jason Zucker. The one thing about those two players, they're straight-line players. They're North players. You hear this all the time. Oh, let's play North-South hockey. Who the hell wants to play South hockey? To me, that's (laughs) retreating going back in your own end. Let's let's play North hockey. Let's, Let's put that arrow, let's get that compass, and let's point it north towards the net. And that's what Rust and Zucker do, and they bring Gino along because Gino likes to play east-west hockey. And east-west it might look pretty, uh, but it's not effective. And so those guys bring him along. And, uh, you know, Gino's, Gino's look good. Uh, at times, Gino's listed 6'3 in your program, but at times you look 6'6 when he gets galloping. He has a certain style uh, of skating for him when he's really feeling it, confident, uh, and, and, and doing the right things. And he's a galloping Geno right now. Phil Bork, Pittsburgh Penguins radio analyst, two-time Stanley Cup champion, joining us here on the big show, Russick and Rose, Sports at 960 The Fan. You talked about how the band's back together. Is that like a renewed sense of um, just that we, we can we can maybe have another run at this thing that we maybe didn't think we we're going to have this same team together here for the next couple seasons or so? Do you find the teams maybe a little rejuvenated? I do. And, and I think that's why is because, especially Gino. Gino was so close. I and mean, it came right down to the, the wire with him uh, and signing a deal. And uh, I think emotions really played a role into this, whether it was Gino's. And I think Sid's emotions got involved in this, too. You know, a lot of people, when I played, you know, I played with Mario. And people thought that Mario would have his things, fingers in the, in the pudding, so to speak, you know. And uh, he, he didn't have anything to do with any of that. He, he didn't want to be involved in, in moves or, or, or management or anything like that. Sid's the same way. But, guys, I, I don't know this for sure. and I've never talked to Sid about it yet. But I wouldn't be surprised if Sid or maybe Sid through his agent got involved in Gino coming back. Because, you know, when we signed Gino, I was shocked. I'll be honest with you. I was so surprised. I thought for sure he was going to be gone. But then, you know, afterwards you start going, oh, what if he went to the Rangers? Or what if he went to Carolina or somebody like that where you're like, oh, what did we do here? You know, and then when you get a guy and you're like, well, wait a minute, this guy we, we thought was so great to replace Gino isn't as good as Gino. 
So I think a lot of those things ran through the minds of people making their decisions. And I think Ron Hextall and Brian Burke, are, who are those guys, uh, did the right thing. Did the right thing for the organization. Did the right thing for Sid. And I think the players, to your point, the players feel like, you know, this has been a bit of a one-way street where ownership has kept saying, bring them back, bring them back, go again, let's do it again. And, and it's been, like I said, it's been the first round and out. And I think now the players feel a responsibility that we need to make this a two-way street. I'm very intrigued to watch this team as the season goes on because it is full of veterans. There's one player on an entry-level contract on the entire roster. That's Sam Poulin, who was a 2019 first-rounder. What is going to be his role on this team? Because much like the Flames, this is a group that is loaded up with veterans and probably looking to bring home another ring rather than um, get some young guys, some valuable experience. That's not the goal this year. No, it's not. Uh, and Sam Poulin, uh, he actually just got called up today uh, because we've got some guys dinged up in Teddy Bluger and Jake Gensel. Uh, and we're on a, a – this will be game number two of a five-game road trip out on the West Coast, so we want to make sure we have our um, – you know, dot our I's and cross our T's. Uh, Sam Poulin has been a bit of a disappointment as a first-rounder, except this year. He came to training camp in great shape and was a complete difference maker. Uh, it, was a, it was a new player. Uh, but because of where we are with the cap and one-way contracts and yada, 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 um, it was better for him to go down and play and be the man down in Wilkes-Barre in the American Hockey League. He looked really good out of the gate, and, and that was part of his recall here. But he's a guy that's going to take a little bit longer if he's going to be a, a key contributor in the National Hockey League. Not all first-round picks are plug-and-play, as you know. And so sometimes you know, those players get traded to other teams and pfft, they explode, and you're like, what, why didn't that team be a little more patient with that player? And that's a hard thing to do mm. when you're trying to win right now. And So uh, the, the Penguins don't have anybody down in the minor leagues that you're like, oh, boy, watch out for this guy. Uh, but they've got a lot of good prospects, and, and Wilkes-Barre's been one of the better American Hockey League teams for the last probably 10 or 15 years. Phil, how fun is it to have Brian Burke in the organization? A blast. The best. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I, I just every day I see him, it just puts a smile on my face uh, because he's 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 grouchy, he's commodity, uh, and and I like that. Uh, he's sarcastic. He's a smart ass. He's got a bad mouth on him. Where you know my mom would have had the, the soap out for for Berkey, you know. But you know he's a hockey guy, right? Right. And, and anybody who's a hockey guy, when I say he's a hockey guy, you're like a light bulb goes like, oh, he's a hockey guy. Okay, then he's my kind of guy. Have you worn the no tie tie look that Brian Burke likes to rock? Have Slick you done back. that yet? No, no, I don't want him to punch me in the face. My okay. radio partner, Josh Getzoff, did an interview, and he did the whole interview with the uh, the the tie on tie off thing that that Burke's famous for. And I was like, "Boy, you got a set on you, man!" Like, uh, <laughs> I I don't think I'd go there. I'm, I mean. I have a relationship with Berkey. It's it's not that close yet where I can do the uh, the tie-on, tie-off thing. Wanted to ask you about Mike Sullivan as well because last year I really did think that he should have been in the conversation for Coach of the Year. It does end up going to Daryl Sutter here with the Calgary Flames, but just another guy that commands a locker room, commands a bench. Have you been impressed with the way that he has grown over the years as well? I have. I have, and that's the challenge. 
for Mike Sullivan, for any coaches that have elite high-end talent and uh, high-priced talent. I mean, we have to talk about that because, I'll be honest with you, uh, money breeds power, right? And when players get big contracts, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 million dollars a year, they have it all figured out, right? Well, I, I obviously they're paying me 10 million dollars a year. I know more than you, coach. Well, it's not that way. And so that's why Mike Sullivan has done a great job of evolving as a person, as a coach. Mike Sullivan's all about relationships first. He's a true believer that he can't get the most out of you as a player until he builds a relationship with you off the ice. And so he's a great communicator. He's a fun guy to be around. He's a passionate guy. You know, he's got a couple Stanley Cup rings in his pocket, but he wants another one. Um, and so he walks that tightrope, right? It's probably harder to coach the elite guys than the muckers and grinders, right? Because, mm-hmm. you, you you know, when do you give a size 11 up the backside and when do you kind of put your arm around one of those guys, you know? And you have to mm-hmm. you have to have a feel for that. And that, that takes a unique personality to have that, number one, the respect, right? Because if you don't have respect, you don't have anything as a head coach, especially with your star players. Uh, they have to respect you and they have to love you. But the, the problem the problem can be sometimes is don't don't mistake uh, Mike Sullivan's um, uh, you know kindness towards you for weakness, and that's the tightrope that he walks. Phil, um, we were asking our text line earlier today um, because we were giving away some tickets to the Flames and Penguins game. Who their favorite player is to watch in the Saddle Dome that is not a member of the Calgary Flames? We're getting a lot of responses that are. Crosby and Malkin and Latang because they only come here once a year. But for you, you get to watch Malkin and Crosby every day. Who is a player that every time they're coming into Pittsburgh to play the Penguins, you're saying, I'm excited to watch this player. I can't wait to see what he does tonight. Well, the easy answer would be Connor McDavid, but that's not my answer. <laughs> um, and even Nathan McKinnon, that's not my answer. Um, you know who's one player I just absolutely love? It's Patrick Kane. Mm, that's a good I one. Love, I, I will take my credit card every single dime, time. I'll plop it down to pay to watch Patrick Kane play. He's, he is just so much fun. He's just uh, so electric, uh, so elusive, uh, does things that, especially with the size of the player, um, maybe I'm leaning a little bit towards an American player here uh, because I'm from Boston. But, um, boy, I, I just love to watch Patty Kane play. Um, Phil, before I let you, you go. Yo, What's your answer? Mine was Drew Doughty because he's such a great player and he had a great rivalry with Matthew Kachuk. So you know that Doughty was going to probably put on a show just with his play. And then there would always okay. be the how is this going to bubble over on the ice as well. I like it. Um, I Phil, like it a lot. Phil, before I let you go, you have to, you have to, you have to tell me if this rumor is true or not. And I don't want to get you in too much trouble. But uh, there was, there's always this talk years ago when Mary Lemieux went number one overall in the draft. He could not bench press 150 pounds. Is that story true? Um, no, it's not true. Okay, uh, because it was 180. It was 185 pounds, <laughs> and he couldn't do it. <laughs> no, he did one. He did one. Uh, so, Sam- you know what? If, you, if you're going to tell a story, start getting your facts straight. Okay. There, boys, okay? Phil, I, okay. I will try to do better. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> One, I will try to do better. Uh, what would Mary yeah, Lemieux do I, in today's game? He'd be probably 150 points. And yep. He would dominate. I mean, yep. Mary used to get mauled. I mean, just go on YouTube. Yeah. And just, I don't know, 
just put Mario getting mauled, you know? I mean, and you'll just see clip after clip after clip of him going down the ice with two and three guys on his back and still scoring goals. Um, with the rule changes, um, I, I just think that Mario would, would just have a free-for-all out there. Um, a real quick story. Sure. Um, because, obviously, I think Mario, no disrespect to Wayne. Wayne, it's, it's what your flavor is. You know, do you like vanilla ice cream, chocolate, straw, whatever you like? My flavor is Mario Lemieux because he's he, to me he's a more complete player. Killed penalties. He'd take big face offs. He he was physical when he had to be physical. He kind of did it all. That's my kind of guy, right? But here's a quick story. So when I finally got my one way contract, I bought a house in Pittsburgh. I spent the whole summer there in Pittsburgh. I worked my tail off. I was in the gym. I was renting ice on my own. So the first day of training camp that year, I think it was eh, nineteen ninety, I think eighty nine or ninety. First day of training camp, we have a scrimmage. Mario has like three goals and four assists in the scrimmage. We're getting off the ice. I skate up to him. I'm like, hey, big boy, you were unbelievable out there today. He's like, oh, thanks, Borky. I said, I got to ask you a question. I was here all summer. I was in the gym. I was at the rink. I was renting ice. I was all over all over Pittsburgh working out. I didn't see you anywhere. He goes, oh, Borky, this is the first time I put my skates on. I go, that's it. That's all I, that's all I need to know. That's crazy. That's the epitome yeah. of the natural. You know, yeah. the most gifted, natural that, you know, and maybe it hurt him a little bit because he had all those problems with his back, you know, and maybe he should have done more work on his core. But that's, you know, that's in the rearview mirror. To me, yeah. Mario was the best there ever was. And, you know, if you want to get a case of beer and talk about how great Gretzky was, we can do that too. Uh, great stuff. Uh, one day for sure, Phil Bork, a Penguins radio analyst, two-time Stanley Cup champion. Phil, great stuff. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll see you tomorrow. All right. See you tomorrow. Thanks for enjoying this, guys. And like always, All right. it was. Great job. <laughs> uh, Mary Lemieux, to me, Mary Lemieux is the most talented player I've ever seen in my life. Like, the hands on Mary Lemieux. I know what Connor McDavid does, skating-wise, is something we've never seen. But, like, just sheer talent, Mary Lemieux, to me, is number one. Like, just so gifted and you hear all these stories when he was in junior mm-hmm. he wouldn't even try the first two periods nope. and then in the third period he'd get five points yeah. because that's how talented he was well, you only he have... was so good as a kid there's stories that people used to line up in Montreal when he was skating outside in like the neighborhood rank when he was like 11 12 years old people would go watch him skate because that's how good this guy was he only had 282 points in 70 games his last year of junior, George. That's, I don't know what year. That is just... He's only averaging over four points a game. That's, that's absurd. It's disgusting. Yes, yeah, it's, it's absurd. <laughs> it is absurd. And I, that, I didn't get to watch much of Mario, obviously. You know, in 96-97 was the last year he surpassed 100 points. Um, it's a lot of highlight reels for me. Yeah. And like Phil said, there's a lot of water skiing behind Mario as he's screaming down the ice and... Just basically scoring it well. That that highlight of him putting the puck into Ray Bork's skates and turning <laughs> Ray Bork around and then going top corner on Andy Moog uh, is just one of the best highlights you've ever seen in your life. Like it's just, and then the Bob Cole call when he won the first cup against Minnesota, the O Baby call where he just goes around Ooh, everybody baby. and walks around John Casey and scores. Like Mario Lemieux was just incredible. Like just, and him what he did in the O two Olympics was so special for Canada and that just that just to have the presence of mind of letting the puck go through his legs when he went to Paul Correa, we talked about Paul Correa, just plays like that epitomizes what Mary Lemieux was. And Phil's right. They were all over him like a dirty shirt. (laughs) 
they were literally hanging off him, and he would still score at will because that's how incredibly talented Mario Lemieux was. And apparently without hitting the gym. Yeah, it was 185 pounds. Skates were probably still, hadn't been sharpened yep. since last postseason where yep. they probably went deep. Yep. Cause My he, goodness. Because that guy is that talented, that incredible. One note on the Penguins. Did you see their upcoming schedule, their next six games? No. Back-to-back today. Yeah. Edmonton and Calgary. Yeah. Friday, Saturday, back-to-back, Vancouver, Seattle. Okay. And then their next two games after that, the first and the second of November, back-to-back, at home to the Bruins, and then on the road to face the Sabres. So their next that's six tough. games are all part of back-to-backs. Uh, that's tough, but playing the Canucks right now, not so tough. After yet another loss <laughs> Saturday night to Buffalo. That is... Um... You want to talk about the easiest bet I've made probably in the last two or three years? <laughs> it was the Sabres money line on Saturday night in Vancouver. You could have probably felt pretty good about a puck line there too. Yeah, because uh, Vancouver sucks and Buffalo's super fast. Uh, that's it for us. Where's the time gone? Uh, well, show flew by today. Fun, though. We had lots of fun. Yeah. Lou was great. Phil Bork was great. Charles Davis was great. We, Your morning report was great. We talked about calluses I wasn't. The, keep calluses. I, was, I don't think I was the best today. Hey, well, it's Monday. Okay. You came in today and you were like, today feels like a Monday. And me and Brody were both like, today feels like I yeah. can run through a wall. You guys were super chipper. But I did give you the Moises salute, peas all over his hand story. Yeah, that was kind of brought my mood down. Okay. But I'm Moises all fired up from Alou. the Game of Thrones finale yesterday. I was all wired. I could barely Dragons sleep. Dragons and stuff. Dragons and stuff. Dude's got a sapphire for an eye now. Mm. And I hate him. And I hate him so much. I'm not going to talk about my supply teacher in elementary school who had a glass eye. We'll leave that story for some other. I time. also had a shop teacher that had a glass eye. It was always looking at you, regardless of what you were doing. This right, one, we gotta go. mostly. Okay, no, we got lagged. We got to go. Okay. All Bye. right. Um, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye.